And now take your copy of God's Word and let's turn to the book of Leviticus, the 16th chapter. Lord willing, we will return to Luke's Gospel this coming Sunday, next Lord's Day. But this morning we will focus on a communion sermon from Leviticus 16. Every few years I love to preach this passage because I think it's wonderful for communion, but most importantly it's it's one of those passages that needs to be understood so that we see atonement in the Old Testament pointing to our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Now before we pray and read, let me just point out to you that the Hebrew word azazel is not translated, but simply transliterated in the ESV that we use this morning. I'm not going to spend much time on that. There are various views as to what that word means. Its etymology is uncertain. But I believe that it is referring to the scapegoat and to the consequences of the scapegoat. And some of you who have read the old version, the authorized, the King James Version, will know that it is translated in that way in the King James Version. And quite frankly, in this instance, I think their interpretative approach to this is the best way to translate it, but we're going to use the ESV, which is before us this morning, Leviticus chapter 16. Let us pray together. And now, Heavenly Father, we are privileged, a privileged people indeed, for we have the written Word of God, and we have its proclamation, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, and many other times during the week and during the year. Open our minds and hearts that we may glory in what we see. When we come to a service of worship, when we come to this congregation, when we gather together as your covenant people, it should be like opening packages on Christmas for us, like a child that is in, in wonder and awe because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Give to us that kind of delight in your word and delight in your presence. And may we see Jesus, the Savior of sinners. Those who are saved and those who are lost, may the lost for the first time see Jesus as Savior. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So please take your copy of God's word and let's stand together as we read the entirety of of Leviticus chapter 16. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. 
Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself and he shall take the censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around and he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place 
shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire, and he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, neither the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses, the word of the Lord. Please be seated. How may a sinner come to the Father? Only through Christ crucified who shed his blood in order to redeem us. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There is no fellowship with God on the basis of our doings, our works, or our achievements, but only through the shed blood. No fellowship without the atonement, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so every year, once per year, in ancient Israel, the high priest of Israel entered into the most holy place in order to make atonement for the sins of Israel. It was a type a symbolic forecast of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the blood of the sinless substitute opening the way of fellowship with God, sinners coming into the presence of the Father. So once per year, the high priest drew back the veil to the Holy of Holies and entered where there was the Ark of the Covenant containing the law that we sinners broke. And he made atonement and pointed Israel to Jesus Christ the only Redeemer of God's elect. Let's begin by, by looking at this. First, the high priest entered. The high priest entered. But how? How? The high priest entered, first of all, divested of glory. He put off his robes of glory. He put off his robes of beauty. And just as Jesus Christ came in servant form divesting himself not of his deity, but divesting himself of the forms of gloriousness that he knew with the Father, came and served us. There he assumed human nature in his incarnation, took upon himself manhood, a crown of thorns, mocked in a purple robe, naked body shedding his blood on the cross. And so the high priest came divested of glory. But then he came spotlessly. He then put on the holy linen garments so that he might appear white, spotlessly clean. He was a human priest, of course, and a sinful priest's sins needed atoning for. 
but that white linen garment pointed to the only spotless high priest that could ensure acceptance with God, Jesus Christ our Lord. He hath made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But did you notice that the high priest also came alone? We read in verse 17, No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. And here again, he is like the Savior despite the differences. All of the offices of the day were done by the high priest. Christ only could be the mediator of his people. He alone tread the winepress of the wrath of God. He entered the darkness and bore our hell alone. No other could atone for sin. No other could accomplish this work. No other could achieve this but our Savior, our great high priest, Jesus Christ. But surely you noticed also in the text that this high priest entered laboriously. There were sacrifices and blood sprinkling, and we wonder really how one man could actually do all of this. It seems so much how great Christ's work for us was. Access into God's presence through the greatest and most difficult work that has ever been achieved or accomplished. Sheer work to him in love to the Father and worship to him, but nonetheless paying the price and paying our debt But it is sheer grace to you and to me to which we add nothing and add no work of our own. But also he entered annually, once per year. Now during the year, of course, the sacrifices were perpetually offered, reminding Israel that they always would be in need of a sacrifice. But once per year, the high priest entering into the most holy place points to the fact that one would come who would die once, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. This is how the high priest entered. Leading us next to consider, secondly, the high priest, this human high priest, needed for himself a sin offering. His first offering, you will have noticed, was for himself. He slays the sin offering. He fills the bowl with blood, takes coals from the altar and sprinkles incense, putting a veil between himself and the glory of God, as well as showing that the sacrifice was accepted. He enters the most holy place. He sprinkles the blood on the mercy seat, demonstrating, as Boner in his old commentary says, The law is magnified, Jehovah glorified, the sinner justified. And in needing a sin offering for himself, he was unlike Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Aaron ceremonially was spotless, Jesus was morally spotless. Our Savior knew no sin, was the spotless sacrifice for our sins, No sin needed removal. No guilt was upon his soul. What does that teach us? There was only one good enough to pay the price of sin, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then thirdly, 
The sin offering for the people must be underscored. The sin offering for the people. Notice verses 15 and 16 again. Let's read them. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do to the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. And so Aaron the high priest took two young goats, two goats representing one offering. One shows the means of atonement, the shedding of blood. The other shows the consequence, the effect of the atonement, justification and the pardon of sin. And these two were presented together. And the Lord determined by lot which would be slain. And he was presented at the door of the tabernacle because this is the entrance way to fellowship with God. Entrance through God's provision only. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It is only through the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ that we could enter into the presence of God. And about the offering, we read, first of all, that it was unblemished, again underscoring, that only the unblemished, spotless, sinless, guiltless Son of God, God become flesh dwelling among us, only He could purchase us from our sins. But this unblemished sacrifice was slaughtered. And you have to imagine the agony and the blood. This is a very bloody scene. Years ago, in the, what is sometimes called the modernist fundamentalist controversy, the, the modernists would say they would not have a religion of gore, they would not have a religion of blood. But people of God, if there is no religion of gore, if there is no shedding of the blood of the sinless sacrifice, then you and I are still in our sins. Someone had to pay the debt. Someone had to remove the guilt. And so we see our Savior here. Yes, in the type of the goat, sweat, blood, a cross. It pleased the Lord to crush him, putting him to grief. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? And then this shed blood is sprinkled within the veil, within the veil, going into, entering into the most holy place where God in his special presence of holiness dwelt, taking this blood within the veil. Aaron the high priest sprinkled on the mercy seat seven times this blood. It says in the text, before the Lord providing the perfect standing of God's people. And the most holy place was filled with the cry of blood. This one for whom I shed my blood is now guiltless in your presence. This one for whom I shed my blood is now justified in your presence. The cry of blood fills the most holy place. The blood cries out for the guilty 
and the Lord dwelling between the cherubim bends down to listen. But the Lord who bends down to listen between the cherubim does not look down any longer upon broken commandments, but looks down upon the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ and his shed blood that redeems those who have broken those commandments. Atonement is through blood, pointing us, for example, to Hebrews 9, 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once to the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. As Robert Murray McShane put it so movingly, sinners were sinking beneath the red-hot flames of hell. He plunged in and swam through the awful surge and gathered his own into his bosom. The sword of justice was bare and glittering, ready to destroy us. He opened his bosom and let the stroke fall on him. We were set up as a mark for God's arrows of vengeance. Jesus came between and they pierced him through and through. Every arrow that should have pierced our souls stuck fast in him. In your place condemned he stood, sealed your pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What? A Savior. This picture is also Christ's heavenly, high priestly work and should be interpreted in light of his ascension into heaven, his entry into the very courtroom of God. Here we see the book of Hebrews. Having once for all sacrificed himself, Jesus ascended on high, and your priest has taken his blood his merit, his perfect righteousness into within the veil. And there, now, did you hear? There, right now, there, now, your heavenly high priest's merit cries out in effectual grace, that sinner for whom I died, for whom I intercede, for whom I shed my blood, whose merit is my merit, none of his own, that sinner for whom I died will not die. You see him as righteous as I am. You see him clothed in the perfect record, the perfect righteousness that I wove upon the cross through my shed blood. Father, This one is saved eternally. Now notice with me, fourthly, the effects of the atonement. In verse 21, it's set before us in type so beautifully. Let's begin with verse 20. And when he has made an end of atonement for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. Now notice verse 21, and Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, 
and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send them away into the wilderness. And so Aaron the high priest laid his hands upon the goat. It is symbolic of transfer. It is imputation, the imputation of our sin to our sacrifice. My crimes, all of my sin, all of my guilt, all of my disobedience transferred to the sacrifice so that my curse is taken by him. He has been made a curse for me. I broke the law. He, the sinless Son of God, was treated as the lawbreaker. I deserved hell. He, on the cross, bore my hell. His infinite nature giving to his finite sufferings infinite value. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And the glorious result, notice verse 22. Remember, there was a man in readiness, and verse 22 says, the goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. And so you see, two goats representing one sacrifice, our Savior who shed his blood, and then this goat, not representing something else, but continuing to represent our Savior who rose from the dead, who ascended on high, and you see our guilt having been placed on him. The goat goes out into the wilderness, and do you see him? Look at him. You see him now. You see him closely. You see him there in the distance. My, if there were binoculars in these days, you'll need the binoculars. Oh, I wish I had a telescope. And you know, I can no longer see that goat, for he is completely out of sight. Complete atonement. Complete removal of sin. Christian, what has happened to your guilt? Believer, what has happened to your sin in God's judicial court? Well, let's take our Bibles and notice a few very familiar passages. In the 103rd Psalm, Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12. Psalm 103, verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Turn over to the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43. How does the Lord describe what has happened to our guilt and to our sins through Christ our Lord through this 8th century B.C. prophet? Isaiah 43. Verse 25, I, 
I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Turn over a chapter, chapter 44 of Isaiah, verse 22. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Or to another prophet in the Old Testament, the book of Micah. Micah, the last chapter, chapter 7. Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So that your sin, believer in Jesus Christ, has been taken by Jesus Christ who shed his blood and who is your scapegoat out into the wilderness beyond sight as far as the east is from the west. Your sins can no longer be found way down in the depths of the sea. They have been taken, as Patrick Fairburn wrote in his old book on typology, they have been taken into everlasting oblivion. No record of sin in God's court. Judicially, no sin found. The great exchange has taken place. Your guilt and sin transferred to your scapegoat, his perfect righteousness and record imputed to your account. Notice the finality of it in verse 23. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. Aaron put off the linen garments. He left them there. Why? The sin offering has been sacrificed. It is finished. As the old divine says that I love to quote, he did death done. He did death done. A completed atonement. An efficient atonement. An atonement, a sacrifice that actually accomplishes its purpose so that you who trust him need never fear that again that guilt will return in the presence of God and that somehow you will be judged. I love this old illustration that I update from an old divine. We have someone that's over here in a prison and someone comes as his deliverer. And the deliverer says, I've come to deliver you. If you will simply pay the exorbitant price that is required for you to come out of the jail, I'll remove you from the jail. I will save you from your present condition. Well, says the person in the jail, it's wonderful that you've come to deliver me, but what kind of deliverance is that? 
I don't have that kind of money. I can't pay that debt. I can't pay the price. But you see, your Savior's deliverance is nothing like that. Some people present the cross like that. Some ministers present the atonement like that. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The atoning work of Christ actually accomplished its purpose. The atoning work of Christ actually is efficient. The atoning work of Christ actually affects its purpose. The cross is the battering ram that breaks down the wall. The cross becomes the instrument that cuts the chains. The cross becomes the way that there is real and true deliverance from the prison and from darkness and from hell. That's what Jesus Christ did when he shed his blood on the cross. People of God, Christ did save his people. Christ will save his people. Christ will lose none of his own. No pain, no suffering, no opposition, nothing in life, nothing in death, nothing above Nothing beside us, nothing below us, absolutely nothing, and no one will keep his purchased people from our inheritance, and nothing can make Christ's blood of no avail. And I'll see your high priest in his glorious garments interceding for you. He's not wringing his hands saying, I, I would like to save this person, but There's nothing I can do about it. God the Father so loved you that he sent his own son who willingly came and he shed his blood and actually purchased you, rose from the dead, ascended on high, pleads the merit of his blood which is completely efficacious and all for whom he gave his life will be saved as the Holy Spirit opens hearts, grants faith, and gives to you persevering grace. Now see your high priest and consider these two things as we close. You are not partially justified. What kind of justification would be that? You are not justified on the basis of something you do. That would never happen. You are completely and utterly just in God's court of law because of what Christ has done. Did you notice, for example, in verse 21, and Aaron shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all, not some, all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their sins, their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put them, that is all of them, on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. We sing it, don't we? My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And so, let me stress, secondly, as we end, the work of atonement is not ours. It is not something that we achieve or accomplish. 
There is no work on our part whatsoever in this great matter of our justification before God. Mr. Spurgeon says in his autobiography, this is in the second volume of the Banner of Truth edition, if you've not read it, it's very well worth reading. Among the many clergy and ministers of religion whose lives were changed by the sermons, one was, uh, was one ritualistic priest whose story Spurgeon thus narrates. This is what Spurgeon said. He told me, this ritualistic priest, he told me that he owed everything to me because I had been the means of leading him to Jesus. He said he was only an humble vicar of the Church of England, so I asked what his line of teaching had formerly been. Very high, he replied, but I asked, did you pretend to forgive people's sins? Yes, he answered. Then I inquired, how did you get rid of the idea that you were a priest? Well, he said, I sincerely believed myself to be a priest until I read one of your sermons. That convinced me of my own state as a sinner, and the priesthood oozed out of me directly. Now I'm trusting the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, and I point my congregation to him alone, him alone. Now, maybe there's someone here and the priest needs to ooze out of you. Maybe you think there's some human priest that could save you or or absolve your sins. Or maybe it's something within yourself that you're trusting as as if that could be your savior and your redemption. No, no, all glory to the lamb, his sacrifice, his blood, his wounds, his offering, his cross, in my place condemned he stood. It's not see what my hands have done, but see what Christ has done once for all. And so I ask you, have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone for your redemption? For there is nothing, I mean nothing, nothing that you can do to contribute to your acceptance with God. Jesus has done it all for sinners. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Or in the words of a hymn that we often sing on Wednesday night at Vespers, finished all the types and shadows of the ceremonial law, finished all that God has promised, death and hell no more shall awe. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. Saints, from hence your comfort draw. Saints, from hence your comfort draw. And God's people said, Amen.